Well, good morning. My name is Daniel Bowen of the pastors here, and this morning we are concluding a sermon series on the gospel for the nobodies. It's basically a journey that we conclude through several stories in the gospel of Luke, and we are in chapter 24, the last one this, this morning. And we are looking at the way that Jesus interacted, interacted with various people, different people from different backgrounds. Some were somebodies in that society, and the others were nobodies. And what's interesting in Jesus' case is that he has a soft spot for the nobodies. And we are reaching this morning at the disciples that are frightened, frightened. They are in the upper room. And for them, it's still the Sunday of Easter, and it's the evening, the last hours of the day, and they are behind locked doors, and they are frightened because of what happened to their Lord. And they are afraid to even get out, because they think, if this happened to our rabbi, to our master, maybe we are next. Maybe they are looking for us. Maybe they are looking and chasing and trying to find us out. And maybe we will be crucified next week. So I want us to just think of a moment when we were frightened. I'm not sure when you were frightened like the disciples. But they were afraid for their lives. And they were unsure about what happened on that Sunday. They were not sure that he is truly alive. And they had a lot of doubts, a lot of anxieties. And it depends sometimes where you grew up. I grew up in Romania, and in Romania, we grew up with this idea, and that's how I was through middle school and you know, elementary and high school. I thought that we are supposed to suffer for Christ, and one way or another, things will go for bad to worse for Christians, and we are going to have to pay a price for our faith, And in the end, we were expecting, like Jesus, suffering. Even when freedom came in, uh, you know, in 1990, after the fall of the Berlin Wall and stuff, I was in school there and uh, in, in the college, and somebody asked us, you know, so what do you expect from life? And we were the first generation coming out of the Cold War. You know, we were young and still, and about 90% of us said we expect suffering from life. And the teacher said, why do you expect suffering? Because I expect blessings. And it's just a matter of where you live. If you today go to North Korea and you ask a Christian in North Korea, what do you expect from life? They will say, we expect suffering. In fact, we are are even wondering why we are still free and not arrested or whatever, not in a labor camp. Because that's how you live. The context in which you live determines... A lot of how you look, you look at life. But I was in a context in which we were Christians and we were weird, peculiar people. Because the government, the policy, the school ideology was everything against God. There is no God. There is no afterlife. There is no life of the soul. There is no Jesus coming to us on Christmas. There is no Jesus raising up 
or being crucified on Easter, I mean on Good Friday and then rising up on Easter days. No, those things, the church, faith, and everything else is just a creation of your imagination. And that's where I grew up. And I want you to see that in Luke chapter 24, the whole chapter basically contains three major stories. And Pastor Ron went to two of them already, so this is the last one. And all of these stories, you know, all of these stories contain this structure. And I want you to look at this structure. Basically, it's a structure that if you go home and you want to study them, they, they follow this confusion. It starts with confusion. It moves to rebuke, to teaching, and then to mission. And you can go home and if you want to just look at all of these four elements in the stories. But it starts with confusion. It starts with a time of confusion. And usually confusion arises when things don't turn out the way they were expecting. We are confused, and they were confused, when things did not turn out the way they were expected. They were very surprised that Jesus, their Lord, was arrested. The woman at the doom, if you remember, that's the first story. And Pastor Ron looked at that on Easter Sunday. The woman at the tomb, they go at the tomb, and uh, what happens? You know, they found the stone rolled away, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They are so confused. They say, what is going on? We came here to worship and to kind of take care of our Lord and to embalm him and to make sure that he is prepared for burial and for the long stay in the tomb, and everything is unexpected. And they are confused because things don't turn out the way they were expected. But do you see who is basically going first to the tomb? The women. And who hear first the news that Jesus is alive? The woman. In that society, there were nobodies. There were nobodies. They couldn't go to a trial and testify because their testimony was not valid. They imagine things. They say things that nobody believes. You cannot trust them. The women in that society were so nobodies that Jesus wants to deal with them. And in fact, who sees the Lord first? The woman. They meet Jesus right there at the tomb the first time. He comes to them. And he says to Mary, Mary, call her her by name Mary. Mary, and and Mary, you know, first of all, she's confused, you know, right? She thinks that he is the gardener. But if you are a woman this morning, I just want, we, we will not spend time on that. But just, I want you to know that we are all in this spiritual journey. And sometimes we move from this confusion to certainty. But if you think of confusion, it is the women who, first of all, they were confused, but first also saw the Lord, the risen Lord. And I'm not sure what's your confusion, what's your doubt, but if you are a woman here, whether you are married or single, whether you have or not friends, whether you feel like somebody or like nobody, Jesus says, I love you. That is his message. I died for you. 
I want you to know that you are precious to me. And whatever else the world says, disregard it. And look at me as your Savior, as the risen Lord. I came and died and I rose again for you. And there's no greater love that you can have but my love. And I love you eternally. I will not let you down. I will not let you down. I will stand by you. And in fact, I give you a mission. Would you tell my disciples, the men who think that they are, no, the disciples that are important, right? Would you tell them that I am alive? Tell them to go in Galilee and I will meet them there. They have a mission, right? They have a mission. And then look at the disciples, the two of them on the road to Emmaus. And this is what Pastor Ron looked last Sunday, right? We don't even know one, one, one's name, you know. He's like a nobody. He is really a nobody because we don't know his name. And they are walking from Jerusalem to, the, to this city of Emmaus, seven miles. And Jesus comes among them and he says, what are you discussing here? And they are confused. And if you look in, in Luke chapter 24, the first few verses that talks about this story, they were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. They walked and Jesus walked up along with them. But they were kept, they were kept from recognizing him. They were kept from recognizing him. And at the end of the day, when they sit together in a house in Emmaus, they suddenly recognize that this is a special guy. What what was he doing? He opened our eyes to see him. But then he suddenly disappears. And they go back, they rush back to to Jerusalem, but they are still confused, right? I think this was Jesus, but... We couldn't, I mean, we are not certain because he disappeared. And this is not a story, the third one. is not a story, but it's just one verse. And Peter basically, when Peter hears this story, he rushes to the tomb. And this is what the story, the verse says. He got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. It's not a big story with Peter in this chapter in Luke, but it's a big story in John, chapter 21. It's a huge story there. But look what Peter, Peter said, and he went away from the tomb, wondering to himself what had happened. Peter is a Christ denier. Can you imagine Peter hearing the news from the ladies, from the women? He is alive, and he says, how can he be alive? I denied him three times. I saw him dying. I saw him on the cross. We put him in the tomb. I betrayed him. And maybe they just buried Judah. Because it's very clear that only the 11 are here. But Peter, Peter is still confused. Peter is still confused, and he is, a, he is a nobody. He is the greatest nobody among the disciples because he officially, openly, in the temple courts, denied Christ three times. The others, at least, didn't do that. They ran away. They said, we, we, we don't want anything to do with this guy who is arrested now. They ran. But Peter cannot follow him from a distance, and he was caught in this plot. And maybe you too, this morning, you deny Jesus somehow. And it's a pain of denial. 
Is that shame? Is that just hum, hum, it's, it's, it's a humbling experience when you do that. Because you feel how broken, how unfaithful you are. How frail your faith is. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I prayed for you because Satan has asked to sift you like, like wheat or like grain. But I pray for your faith so that your faith will stay. Because if I wouldn't have prayed, basically, Jesus says, you would, you would just lose it. You will drop out like Judah. So I pray for you, Peter, so that you can come back. And he does come back. That's why he wants to go to the tomb. He says, if he's alive, I want to, I want to go back and repent. I want to go back and confess. I want to go back and say, forgive me, Lord. I am a wretched sinner. But the, the, whole, the whole confusion there is, is created by this news that is somehow too good to be true for them. You see, when women came back, the disciples, they did not believe their word because it seemed to them like nonsense. Have you ever talked to somebody about the gospel and it seemed to them like nonsense? Like I said, you know, in my, in my childhood, you know, no matter who I told the story of, of Jesus, they will look at me and say, okay, can you tell me more? And we'll spend sometimes an hour. And in the end, they still say, wow, that's what a story. What a fairy tale. And you believe that? And that's what you guys believe, you Christians? It's nonsense. For a mind that is not transformed by grace, and that's what we Reformed people say, if there's no grace working in somebody's heart, there's no light, there's fog. There's this cloud that covers their eyes. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were blinded to see Jesus. He was right there, but they were blinded. And the world is in darkness, lives in this darkness. And that's what our prayer is here at Hillside, that the Lord will open our eyes to see him. And will bless our city, our friends, our families and neighbors with the light of the gospel that they will see. You see, we want people to make sense of the gospel. To click with them. And you never know when it does. And sometimes it's a long process. Sometimes it's a long process. You see, everybody is frightened in the disciples. Even the disciples who were with Jesus three years, the 11 now are together in this upper room. And they, and they are frightened because while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among, among them. He did not knock at the door. He, they didn't see him coming. No, he just stood among them. And they are so surprised, and they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. They say, this is impossible. Well, 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 who are you? And it's Jesus, the Lord that they just served and spent time with. And they are still frightened. They still feel nobodies in the presence of the Lord of the universe, right? In the presence of the King of life, the one that says, I am the resurrection and the life. In his presence, they are still startled and frightened. And they think this is a ghost. It's still nonsense for them. And they say, no, it cannot be. It's not this way. The Messiah is a powerful guy, not a weak guy. There is no cross for the Lord of the universe. He cannot suffer and die like a weak person. So they are frightened. They are frightened, confused. And Jesus says to them, peace, peace be with you. 
peace be with you. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the confusion, his message is peace be with you. You see, back home, and I'm sure in many other circumstances, people greet themselves at church, brothers and sisters, with peace. And that's why we, I grew up, you know, peace of Christ with you. You know, here we say different words, you know, but that was our word, peace, 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 peace of Christ with you and with you too. Peace is so important because there is a world peace, a cultural peace that is dependent on circumstances. It's grounding in what is in the world, right? Two weeks ago on Easter Sunday in Pakistan by, by a park where most Christians came out of the Easter service, they were blown up and many, many dozen people died. You never know when your peace is gone, right? But they were there, they were there celebrating the birth of the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus. But this peace that the world gives you is, is basically based on what happens to you. If things happen the way you think, the way you assume, then you have the peace. If they don't, then the peace is gone. And Christ says, I will give you my peace. It's a different kind of a peace. When you lose all your toys, all the blessings... You will still have me. And my peace is a peace that it is grounded in me as God and in my word. That is steadfast. It never changes. And it's based on what happened to Jesus. Not what happens to you. But what happened to Jesus. That's what we do every year. We go back to Christmas. We go back to Good Friday. And we go back to Easter Sunday. Because our life is not what, about happen, what happens to us. Because we follow a Lord that was crucified. And he said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me daily. He basically says, follow me daily. Deny yourself. Because if you think that you will save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you will find it. It's a peace that is surpassing all understanding. Jesus says, I will give you my peace. And Paul basically talks about that peace of Christ that surpassing circumstances is beyond what happens. It's a peace that no power can take from you. No circumstance can take from you. No matter what happens to your body, you know that you do not belong to yourself. And that's what we say in one of our catechism, right? What is your only comfort? This is the Heidelberg that we use, you know, in life and in death. We know my comfort is not that I belong to myself, but that I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. That's what we say. It's a peace that even Peter... The denier, when he is restored, because three times in, in the Gospel of John, Christ comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? You who betray me and deny me, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. Three times says, do you really love me more than this other? And Peter says, you know, Lord, that I do. And then Jesus says this thing. Well, when you were young, Peter, you went and you did whatever. But make sure that you know this. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Basically, you will be in chains. Peter, you will die the death very similar to me, your Savior. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter will glorify God. 
And history tells us that he was crucified. But then Jesus didn't say, now do you want to follow me? He still says, Peter, even if you know now, now you know that you will die like me. But follow me. Follow me, Peter. There's no greater joy than for a friend to lay down his life for his friends, right? For someone. Are you my friend? Do you love me, Peter? Yeah, but then you will, lo- you will do like me. I lay my life for you and you will lay down your life for me. Proclaiming something else. Peter, now you know what's happening. So when, when confusion, when things don't turn out the way that you are expecting, then our fate can slip into doubt. Because we have expectations, right? And faith can slip into doubt. And we feel somehow that God owes us. We feel that, that he forgets us. That he doesn't love us anymore. How can you let this happen, Lord? If you really love me, why would you let this happen to my family? To my body? To the body of my father or child? And it's, it's a valid question. Because we feel that he can do things for us. That he sometimes decides not to do. So what confuses you? What confuses you? What is the thing that confuses you? And many people have said this, when I try my best to follow God, this is what confuses me. I try my best to follow God. I try my best to be faithful. And yet I still have to deal with so much stuff, with so much problem. I still feel the stress at school or at work. I still feel a nobody. I go to school and I feel a nobody. I go to I go to social events and I still feel a nobody. And it gives me so much stress. I'm not invited. I'm not part of the club. I go to, the, to my workplace and it's just terror. And every day is a day when I think I'm going to quit. And I ask, Lord, you know, what is the stress in my family? I've been faithful to you, right? From my childhood, I follow you. But why do you allow so much stress in my family? Why I cannot just have a peace? Maybe this for the spring break. Can you give me just seven days of peace in my family? And it can be a question about illness. Long illness. Long suffering. Long pain. An illness that cannot go away. That is kind of sticking to us. And you say, Lord, I'm confused because I served you and, and you still don't take this away. What is going on here? Are you fair to me? And then it can be financial struggles. We deal with these financial struggles. And some people feel financially nobodies. They say there's nothing I can do. Because I am in such a struggle. In such a debt. In such a situation that is only about fear and anxiety. My life is just a fight. And if another thing comes, I feel like I'm going to break. It's too much. I feel that the last straw is going to drop on me and break me. And in these moments, Jesus comes with a rebuke. And basically, Jesus says to all of them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts, why do doubts rise in your minds? Why are you troubled? Well, that's kind of an obvious. I mean, we are troubled. We are confused. And he yet says, why are you troubled? You shouldn't be troubled. You shouldn't let the doubts. And then he says, look at my hand. Look at my hand. Do you see that it's still me? 
touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then he says, do you have any food? Let me, let me show you. And then they give him a broiled fish and he eats with them. You see, the battle is always for the doubts in your mind. The devil is after our mind and he wants to take away our productivity, for instance. He wants to make sure that our mind is preoccupied with things that are useless, that are no good. Doubts, confusion, it's his, his skills, his schemes. And he, diminish, he diminishes your passions, your focus. He makes us focus in so many things that nothing gets done. That we are not sure what's important and what's not. And we think that it's important for us to win little battles that are non-important, non-essential. And we major in those non-essential. And we waste our life and our time fighting for battles. We should let them go. And he makes us doubt ourselves. And we say, no, I am a nobody. He makes us feel in our mind, in our emotions, that we are nobody. We no matter. Nobody loves us. Nobody cares for us. There's nothing good happening for us. And he drowns us in our circumstances. And he makes us in the end doubt God. And he steals our peace. The devil is after each and every one of us. And his purpose is to take away that peace. That's why Christ comes and says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Remember that story of the 19th century was a guy, Steph Spafford, a friend of Moody. And his family went across the ocean. And they were in a boat that crashed and died. And he lost his daughters, his children. And then he wrote this song and this hymn that we sing today. When peace like a river attended my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. That's what we all want to get to. To the point where we say, those Satan should buffet. Though trials should come, and they do come. Let this blessed assurance control. Control your mind. Control my mind. Control my soul. Let this blessed assurance control me that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Therefore, I can say it is well. It is well with my soul. It is not well because I am out of the storm. It is well with my storm. It is well with my soul in the storm. David, the psalmist, you know, he says, The Lord is my, my shepherd. I shall not be in one because in, in, in facing my enemies, in front of my enemies, you know, he lays down a table for me and invites me to eat. Have you ever eaten in front of your enemies? It's so hard to eat even when you know that somebody is looking at you, right, or paying attention to how you chew or whatever. But to eat in front of your enemies. He lays a table, he says. He is with me even when I go through this valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus explains to them, Basically, he says, you know, there's teaching here. He says, everything, this is what I told you while I was with, still with you before I died. Everything must be fulfilled. Everything must be fulfilled that is written. Basically, he reminds them there is a plan. And the plan is in the book. Where is the book? And they says, was written in the law of Moses, the five 
books of the Decalogue, you know, we call them. The prophets, all of the prophets, and the Psalms. The entire Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And Jesus says, all of those books tell about me. All of those books tell about me. I like, again, why the Heidelberg Catechism says, how do you know these things about salvation, about God loving us? And question 19 says, how do you come to know this? And he says, the Holy Gospel tells me. God himself began to reveal the gospel already in paradise. In paradise to Adam and Eve. Later, he proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs, which is basically the law of Moses and the patriarchs. And then in the prophets, and portrayed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, he fulfilled it through his own, their son, which is the New Testament for us, the Gospels. Luke chapter 24, dispelling this confusion by rebuking them and teaching them and saying, everything must be fulfilled. It's a plan that God has shared with you. We have the plan. And he is fulfilling that plan in history. And then he opened their minds to say, to, to, so that they could understand the scripture. You see, we still need that illumination. The same Holy Spirit that inspired the law, the prophets, and the Psalms is the spirit that illuminates our minds. I remember when somebody said this at one of our Alpha, our Now God Questions, and she said, many years I was confused. I was listening to the sermons in the church, but they made no sense to me. I read the Bible, but I could not understand it. And she said, it took a lot of Christians that loved me, a lot of time. And it took years until I started to feel that God loves me. And now I read the Bible, and I love it because it makes sense. Sometimes this process is a long process of seeing clearly. And then Jesus finally, when we see clearly, he says, now you have a mission. This message, he says, this message will be preached. What message? The repentance for forgiveness of sins. This is the message. You need to repent. Remember, even in the Old Testament, Jonah was sent to Nineveh, which is today's city of Mosul. And the same message, repent, or the whole city will go in flames. And it's a message of Forgiveness in Jesus' name, in what he did. And it's to be preached to all nations. And that's what we try to do. To preach to all nations as a church here, as partnering with others in Cuba or Mexico or Myanmar or everywhere. And basically Jesus says, now you are those preachers. You are the messengers. Go and preach this message. And it's always about perspective, right? I remember there was this story, I'm not sure if you heard of him, uh, Andrew White. He was an, a British uh, citizen and he grew up in England. And in 1985, he, works, uh, he worked as a medical uh, in anesthesiology, in the member of a cardiac arrest team. But then he felt a call to ministry. He went to school and he became um, a minister in the Church of England in 1990. But what happened to him about uh, eight years later, at 33 years old, he was diagnosed with MS. And because of the MS, he was very puzzled. You know, early, one year earlier, his brother died, uh, just washed in, in a river. They didn't know how he died. But, you know, in 97, 98, he was diagnosed with MS. So in about five years, he was declared by the Archbishop uh, of the Church of England unfit to have a parish. They say, you cannot anymore have a church. You know, you can, you can stay a priest or a minister, 
but you cannot have a church. By that time, he was having two kids of his own. So he was interested in the Middle East, in the peace between Jews and the Palestinians. And he studied a lot and wrote even books about that. And then he said, now, because there is no parish that I can serve, I'm going to move to the only church in Iraq, which is in Baghdad. And I'm going to be a priest there. They will take me with MS. And they did. And he started a wonderful ministry there. And he blessed the people. And about 10 years later, he was known worldwide as the vicar, the vicar of Baghdad. The vicar of Baghdad. In November 2014, when ISIS came and started to take more and more land, Christians in his church were persecuted. And there were even some babies that he baptized this Sunday. And then ISIS dealt with them in the following days. But he tells this story. He says, when ISIS came, they rounded up Christians. In fact, in one year, in one single year, he lost about 11 staff members to ISIS from his church. Hundreds of people were killed. But he says, ISIS came and rounded up Christians, divided them in, in adults and kids, and went to the adults and said, you know what? If you do not turn to Islam, we are going to slaughter your kids right here in front of your eyes. And he said, what parent can resist that? What parent can say differently? So they caved in. The parents caved in. But he said, the next day, ISIS went to the kids and said, you know what? If you do not follow Islam, we are going to slaughter your parents in front of your eyes. And he said, the children, they, in their honesty, said, but there's nobody else. We follow Joshua. We follow Jesus. He talks to us. He loves us. There's no other Lord that we want to follow. And the kids were faithful. And they paid the price. And they paid the price. It's all a matter of perspective, right? We say, well, today we don't have to suffer. But look what happens in the world. It's all a matter of perspective. And, and we all are in this journey, right? From, from, from confusion to kind of certainty, to believe. And I, I, I like this picture that we use. We used it, in fact, two weeks ago on Tuesday nights at God Questions. You know, we said, you know, if you imagine your relationship with Jesus, that this is this pool, right? Maybe you saw this before. But just imagine that the pool is a relationship with Jesus. And right, the guy in the, in the middle lane, he's having the best thing, you know, the best time. Where do you put yourself, you know? Where do you put yourself? Maybe you say, you know what? I am like this ladies here, just talking. I am on the pool deck, but I'm not interested in the water yet, you know? I'm just talking, you know, is this real? You know, is this Jesus? And then I like what one lady said. Two weeks ago, she was at Alpha, and she said, you know, a year ago, I was like those two ladies by the pool deck. But this time, she says, I am in the water. And I said, where are you? And she said, I'm right here in the water up to, up to my chest. I'm looking around at people. And I start to feel this relationship with Jesus stronger and stronger in my life. And another, another guest said, you know what? I am just like this lady with a towel. I am looking at the pool. I am on the deck, but I haven't jumped in yet. I'm just thinking, would I, what, you know, and she said, this is where I stand. Or maybe you are just like somebody who says, you know, I'm just like this guy dipping my toe and saying, you know, is this, is this good water? Is this for real? Is this Jesus really resurrected? Is this somebody I can trust? So someplace you have to place yourself in this relationship with Jesus. And we are all on this journey. We are all on this journey. Where are you? Where are you in this relationship with Christ? 
You see, the message this morning is that when you feel confused, and when you feel that you are nobody in this, in this world, in the eyes of society, in the eyes of your friends, maybe, or family, when you are confused by what happens to you, the message is open God's word and let that encourage you. Let the word of God encourage you, teach you, and accept the mission of Jesus. To say, you know what, my mission is not just to take care of my own troubles. But my mission is to tell the world that there is a guy, there is a Lord, a master, who took all of the troubles of the world and he solved them on the cross. And he is alive. And he is resurrected. And he lives to give us assurance and peace. And he tells to us and to the world, I give you this peace. Not as the world gives you, but a peace that surpasses all understanding. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus. This morning we give you thanks that you call us to deal with our confusions and our struggles. And yet you call us to trust in your word. So this morning that's what we do. We follow the teaching of Jesus. And we go back to your word and we let your word inspire us, encourage us, lift us, and open our hearts and minds so that we can embrace your word fully. May it be our guide, our mirror, the mirror of our soul, and the light on our path. Because we trust in Jesus, in his gospel of repentance. And that's what we do this morning. We repent of our sin and we ask that you will forgive us. And lift us up with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Because we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Would you please stand and receive the greeting of the Lord. As we, uh, the, the blessing. As we hear, uh, leave this place, make sure that if you need somebody to pray with you, there's a prayer room to my right. Make sure that you use that. And as you leave this place, may the peace of Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and in the coming week. Amen. You may go in peace.